Hi there, my name is Howard Parkin, and it's great to be here talking to you on Island Life about the subjects of what can be seen in the Manx night sky. I've been teaching astronomy up at the college, the University College of Man, for many years now, since 1985, and over the years I've really become more and more passionately interested in the subject, and it's great to have the opportunity to pass it on to listeners today on Manx Radio. What I'm going to be talking to you about during the programme is the features that we can see in the Manx night sky over the forthcoming months and indeed years. great to be here on Island Life and this is going to become a regular feature of the programme and uh, I'm delighted to be doing it because I'm going to be talking about all things astronomical and astronautical. In particular what can we see from the wonderful dark skies of the Isle of Man throughout the year and of course looking back on what we've seen in previous years as well as looking at what's going on in the exciting world of space at the moment because there's so much news going on in the field of space exploration it's difficult to keep pace with it so we'll give you a bit of an overview of what we can expect in the forthcoming year and maybe a look a bit further as well. So the first thing I want to talk about is last year, of course. 2022 was a great year for astronomy and for space science because there was so much going on. The year ended with a real vengeance for us because we had the fantastic occultation of the planet Mars by the Moon and it occurred... I'm sure listeners remember that, well, I won't say wonderful, it wasn't wonderful to most people, but it was for astronomers. We had a spell of about a week, 10 days of really cold weather, but every single night was absolutely crystal clear. And at five o'clock in the morning, on the morning of the 8th of December, we had this wonderful vision of the full moon passing over the planet Mars. It lasted for about a year, and there's some fantastic pictures on the internet, some of which were taken by people in the Isle of Man as well. And that really was a great ending to the year. It also gave us in December, at the same time, roughly a few days later, we had the peak of the Geminid meteor shower. And the Geminid meteor shower and the Persid meteor shower in August are always two of the year's best. And this year, um, they're even better in 2023. But just looking back in 2022, the highlight of the year for me was the launch on Christmas Day 2021 of the James Webb Space Telescope. This telescope was launched and then it made its way out to its special position where it's in orbit, what's called the Lagrange Point 2, and it got there roughly in mid-January. They did all the testing on the telescope, made sure everything was working okay, and then they started giving us these fantastic images from this telescope, which is looking back into something like 2% of the time from the origin of the universe. Really breathtaking pictures, and again, uh, have a look on the internet, and maybe there's some on the Manx uh, Radio website we can have a look at or put on there for you. These pictures are just so awe-inspiring and such a great success story of a mission that was delayed and delayed and cost 10 billion pounds in the end or dollars i should say 10 billion dollars and it really was a spectacle the other thing that springs to mind from 2022 for me particularly was the launch of the artemis one mission this was much anticipated much um looked forward to again it had been delayed for some time but this was the launch of the brand new rocket the sls rocket very imaginatively named sls space launch system rocket um, and this rocket launched the first orion capsule into space and that capsule went all the way to the moon and back it was unmanned um, but the next mission in 2024 we're not going to launch one in 23 the next one in 24 will be carrying men and women to the moon and back into lunar orbit and then following that in 25 or 26 there'll be the return of the men and women to the surface of the moon and uh, i can't wait to see that because that takes me back so well to my time when i was a young boy 
eight years old, looking at the mission of Yuri Gagarin back in 1961, and then, of course, the, the whole era through the 60s that led to the landing of Apollo 11 on the moon on the 21st of July, 1969. So, what can we see in the Manx night sky throughout the year of 2023? Well, as ever, there's always lots going on. People think space is somewhat static and unchanging, but there's always something spectacular to see, be it eclipses, comets, meteors, or even um, spacecraft. There's always something to see. And 2023 is by no means any exception. At the beginning of the year, we've got the wonderful sight of four planets in our night sky at once. Um, Unmistakably, rising in the western sky just after sunset, you've got the very, very bright planet Venus, Um, But we've had in the sky for some time now the very bright um, planet Jupiter in the southern southwestern sky. And over towards the southeastern sky, we've got the very distinctive planet Mars, the red planet Mars. And between Jupiter and Venus, we've also got the fainter but nonetheless quite um, unmistakable planet of Saturn. And Saturn actually is the first of our highlights of the year, if you like, because on the 22nd of January, the planet Venus and the planet Saturn will be extremely close to one another. Literally about the width of a full moon. If you imagine the width of a full moon, well, you're going to have Jupiter, Saturn and Venus um, literally in the same field of view. That is going to be quite spectacular. Then what's going to happen, Saturn is slowly going to set in the west, but Venus is going in the opposite direction, heading away from the sun. So Venus will start to dominate our evening sky right through till, literally right through till about the middle of July, before it too will start dropping down towards the western horizon. And then it will appear next year, in our uh, sorry, at the end of this year, on our um, morning skies. So that's something to look forward to. But we don't normally have this many bright planets on view all at once. Jupiter... Venus, Saturn and Mars. Mars in particular is well worth looking out for because Mars is right in the middle of what we call the winter stars. And the winter stars comprise of the very bright stars and constellations that we see predominantly around 10, 11 o'clock at night in the winter months. And I was talking the other day about this and did you know if we look at the sky and we split the sky up into seasons, there are 12 stars in the top 30 brightest stars in the heavens visible from the Earth at any one time. 12 of them are all in one very small stretch of the sky um, in the winter. Uh, we've got the constellations of Orion, Gemini, Taurus, and Canis Major and Canis Minor, the big and the little dog. And Mars is right bang in the middle of all them in the constellation of Taurus. And interestingly enough, if you look at this area of the sky, look for the brightest feature you can see in that part of the sky. That will be the planet Mars. Just below it is a very bright star called Aldebaran, the star that is the principal star of Taurus, the bull. And look at the colour of Aldebaran, look at the colour of Mars, and you'll see they're both distinctly red. Mars, of course, is shining by reflected light from the sun and the red surface of the Mars, uh, of the surface. But Aldebaran is a red star. It's a giant star that shines red because it is so big. And if you want to see another red star, not far from Aldebaran, but down and to the left a bit, we have the star Betelgeuse in the constellation of Orion. And people often say to me, um, they can't see the colours of the stars. Well, you can if you just look close enough and realise that some stars are brilliantly bluey white, uh, other stars have a distinctive orange tinge or maybe a yellow tinge, or in the case of Betelgeuse and Aldebaran I mentioned a moment ago, they shine distinctively with a red glow. So that's our first highlight of the year, but we've also got the fact that um, on the 22nd of February, exactly a month later, if you're not sure which is Venus and which one is uh, Jupiter, the moon is going to be right bang in the middle of them on the 22nd of February. 
So again, you can use that as an indicator as to which one's Venus. Venus will be the brighter one nearest the western horizon. Jupiter will be the one more in the southeast sky. But as I say, the moon will be right bang in the middle of them. Jupiter uh, slowly will be setting in the west, but Venus is rising higher and higher. And on the 9th of July, I know it's some time off, but on the 9th of July, Venus will be as high as it gets above the western horizon and will be at its brightest it gets as well and that'd be well worth looking out for so venus really is going to dominate our western skies and right through now till the middle of the summer then we've got one of the annual events that this year will be even more spectacular than usual there are two major meteor showers i often talk about meteor showers when i'm doing my show with judith and uh, obviously today and if you look at the sky and we look at the meteor showers which occur at the same time of the year pretty well every year um, it depends where the moon is and if the moon is high in the sky it drowns out the fainter meteors but what happens this year we're very fortunate the Persid meteor shower which peaks on the 12th 13th of August uh, the moon is actually new a few days before so the moonlight will not interfere at all so we've got great opportunities to see some great meteors from the Persid meteor shower in the middle of August and what I tell people to do it's always a great idea go outside it doesn't go dark till quite late in August because, of course, the um, midsummer's day is the middle of June. But if you go outside in um, around the 12th of August, maybe a day or two earlier or a day or two later, depending on the weather, get a sunchair out, lie on your back, literally on your sunchair, point yourself roughly in the southeast direction. You don't have to be know which stars you're looking for. Just look in the southeast direction and just look up at the sky. Around midnight is the best time. And I will almost guarantee, I've never failed yet, I've always said if this is clear and you give yourself at least 15 minutes, you will see a shooting star or two. And what you do in the summer months is you take out some beverage with you. It can be a hot beverage like coffee or tea, or if you want to indulge in something alcoholic, and it's entirely up to you. And every time you see a meteor, you have a sip. If there's as many meteors as I hope there will be, you'll be fast asleep by one o'clock and you won't see any more. Always a great tip. I learned that many years ago. We have the exact same thing happening in December with the Geminid meteor shower. And purely coincidentally, if the skies are good with no moon for the Persids, it's always the same for the Geminids, given the gap between the two showers, uh, both roughly the 12th of the month, one in August, one in December. But the Geminid meteor shower, coming from one of those constellations of winter I mentioned a moment ago, are always quite spectacular. I saw a really good one this year on the morning of the 7th of December and um, right across the sky it was quite spectacular. But my tip for sitting outside on the sun lounger in December isn't quite as attractive as the idea of doing it in the middle of August but it's still worth doing and um, I think on this occasion a hot drink will be more appropriate than a cold one. We have also got a lunar eclipse taking place this year. It's not a particularly good lunar eclipse. It's a partial lunar eclipse on the evening of the 28th of October. It actually peaks between 8.35 in the evening and 9.53 in the evening. And what you'll notice is the bottom half of the moon will no longer be that wonderful silvery full moon glow that we get to see. But the bottom bit of the moon will show a distinctively slight fainting, faint fainting um, or darkening if you like. And that's um, because of the eclipse as the Earth passes between the Sun and the Earth. So those are just a few of the highlights we've got in the year. We've also got the planets Jupiter and Saturn will return to our skies again like they are now. Um, they're slowly going down and setting in the west in the beginning of the year. But then they will re-emerge in the morning sky in a few months' time. Uh, you won't see them in the morning unless you're particularly keen to go out stargazing. But once we get to September, October time, you'll find they're dominating our evening sky again. 
You may recall, some of you who are Skywatchers, that a few years ago in 2020, Jupiter and Saturn were very, very close to one another in the evening sky. But what's happening now is Jupiter is slowly pulling away from Saturn. That's simply because Saturn takes 26 years to go around the Sun, Jupiter takes 12 years to go around the Sun, so the gap is widening by roughly the width of one of the signs of the zodiac, the 12 signs of the zodiac, each year. So those are the main features we've got this year. Um, turning back to January now, if we just look at January itself, um, we have had the full moon on the 6th of January, so that's been and gone now. We've got this Saturn and Venus conjunction I mentioned a moment or so ago. And if you were to journey as far away as the southern United States or the Caribbean area, you'd see another occultation of the moon of the planet Mars. Sadly, we won't see that from the Isle of Man. In February, we've got Saturn has now disappeared around the back of the Sun and is at what we call conjunction. Um, but that's not um, too bad a thing because that means it's in the morning sky and then it will start the whole idea of re-emerging in our morning sky when we'll see it at the end of the year. So lots going on, lots to see and obviously throughout the year I'll be doing these programmes uh, on Island Life quite regularly so I'll keep you uh, advised of what's going on and um, happy stargazing and uh, I look forward to seeing how you get on. One of the things I get asked quite often by people is just why has the Isle of Man got such great dark skies? What is it that makes the Isle of Man special that makes people want to come here and stargaze? Well, that's a great question. Why has the Isle of Man got just great dark skies? Well, it's very simple, really. We are surrounded by sea. And because we're surrounded by the sea, the Irish Sea, of course, it means when you look out towards the horizon... Um, you're not going to see a huge amount of streetlights. You're not going to see the glow of the cities of Liverpool, Manchester, Dublin or wherever. So we've got, if you like, with the lights behind you in Douglas Bay, standing on Douglas Promenade, the lights of Douglas will be behind you. You can see the skies so clearly. And as a consequence, we have got some of the best skies in Europe. Um, we've made that boast for some years now. And it all started back in 2011 when the Alaman government recognised they wanted to identify some niche tourism opportunities for people to visit the Isle of Man and one that was recognised was dark skies tourism. I was tasked when I worked for Manx National Heritage at the time with looking into this and what we did we, I, we invited a chap over who looked after the UK's dark skies discovery sites. They included the Isle of Man as part of the UK for the purpose of this exercise and we identified seven really good spots around the island where we could do astronomy quite easily and see things like the Milky Way with the unaided, unaided naked eye um, and things like that because you will not see the Milky Way from a well-lit place like Liverpool, Manchester or wherever. You've got to get away from the, the glow of the streetlights. So we identified seven places. Um, the list incidentally is on the website uh, but the seven sites were identified. We applied to have them listed as dark sky discovery sites. All seven, to our surprise, were acknowledged as dark sky discovery sites and all of a sudden the map of the British Isles showed seven dark sky sites in the middle of the Irish Sea. Such was the interest in this and such was the amount of publicity received as a consequence. Uh, I was asked to go back to the drawing board, as it were, and see if there were any other sites we could identify. So I did that and in 2012 we applied for another, a further 19 sites, giving us a total of 26 sites in all. And again, to our delight, all 19 sites were added to the list of seven, giving us a total of 26 dark sky discovery sites in the Isle of Man.
and I'm delighted to welcome uh, today to join us in our first Island Life broadcast on the wonders of the Manx night skies, um, Chris and Nicole Stott. Chris, of course, Manxman, living now in Florida with his wife Nicole, um, runs the company Mansat, and Nicole, of course, uh, a retired NASA astronaut from two separate missions to the International Space Station back in 2009 and 2011. Thank you very much indeed for joining us today. Well, thank you very much, Howard. It is a real pleasure for Chris and I to be here with you on the show today. And, uh, you know, one of the questions that I get asked a lot is what it's like in space in general, but in particular to have the opportunity from that special vantage point to look back at Earth. And I love that question because I think it opens up a lot of it opens up. I could ramble all day (laughs) about it, but I won't. I'm going to start, though, with uh, one of the, you know, personal highlight kind of memories for me while being in space, which also uh, offered the opportunity to share that view back to Earth, which was a a conference with kids from around the island that, that you, Howard, actually coordinated And it was so much fun because I think it gave me the opportunity to to connect again with the people that I love on the Isle of Man. You know, my husband, Chris, here is, uh, of course, from the Isle of Man. And I feel like the, um, I don't know, the the first Manx astronaut. Let's, uh, you know, I'll just take that, that title. But that the opportunity to talk with you and the kids from space was, I don't know, it was so uh, meaningful to me because it allowed me to make a connection, you know, like I was feeling from space, you know, being in this place that was the farthest I've ever been from Earth before and actually feeling more connected to the people there and the place itself um, from that place that that having the opportunity to do something like this was really, really meaningful. And I think that, you know, there's this... uh, this uh, philosophy that's known as the overview effect, something that uh, a dear friend of ours, Frank White, who I think of a lot like, like you, Howard, I think of, you know, this thoughtful, quiet, um, really, you know, meaning, meaning in life kind of person. Um, And Frank is that as well, you know, without having gone to space, considering the idea of what would human beings experience, feel when they looked at their planetary home from space, um, that this, this idea of interconnectivity that's undeniable, of beauty for sure, of, of um, obligation to, to not just recognize and be in awe of this planetary home, but also to, to know that you're part of um, I don't know, the stewards, the, the guardians of this place. And I can tell you, you know, I, and I think, Chris, you would agree, we both have a real appreciation for all of that before I ever flew in space. But I think having been there and looked at it that way, there's no, deny, there's no denying all of that. And, um, and, and ultimately, I think it comes down to this, just being responsible as a crewmate, whether you're on a space station or that's a mechanical life support system in space, or you're on a planet that's our planetary life support system in space. It, it draws in this daily acknowledgement of, wow, I need to be behaving like a crewmate, not a passenger. 
here. And I think that's what I, the most significant thing that I brought home, aside from the awe and wonder of it all was, and maybe that was the inspiration for it, was this need to behave like a crewmate and not a passenger. And I know, you know, I'm really fortunate with people like Chris in my life to see that happening through people that haven't traveled off planet, you know, to to just know that you don't have to go to space, um, at least on a space station, because we're all in space. You don't have to travel off the planet to recognize that. And it's what I think looking up from Earth does for us as well. If we really consider with our feet, you know, firmly planted on, you know, on the dirt here, that we are connected to a planet in space and then look out with awe, with wonder in the fact that, you know, we are in this perfect place um, to take care of us, to support our life. And then that, you know, that makes you hopefully want to take action to um, be a part of the solution for how we continue to support life here. I always remember how you, oh, Nikki, how you first described being the earth. Yeah. Well, and that was, what was that? That was for our son, Roman, who, when I flew the first time, he was, what, seven years old? And, like, it, it was, and this was part, I think, of the, the awe, the wonder, the overwhelming, like, oh, my gosh, this is inc- incredible. And it happened every time looking out the window. Um, but for, for Roman, you know, the, the description was more, more childlike for sure, but I think it, I think it applies in general. It was like, I, I told him, I'm like, okay, imagine like the brightest light bulb you've ever seen and that you splattered it with all the colors that you know Earth to be. And now you, you, you turn it on and you almost have to kind of squint your eyes <laughs> before you look at it to know that your eyes are going to need to adjust. And then that you see this, I don't know, this, this round glowing sphere against the blackest black, clearest black you could ever imagine. And that it's just this, it's like a work of art. It's translucent, it's iridescent, it's colorful. It's just glowing in all those colors you know Earth to be. And it's a bit overwhelming. Um, and then all of those other thoughts of, you know, who and where we are, of, wow, it doesn't look like there's any other side of the planet. It's all just one planet. All of those kinds of things that bring back the reality of us as humans and all the life we share on the planet comes, it comes to life through that glowing, colorful, you know, ball of light against the black. It always reminds me, uh, and Howard, we've talked about this, but the first time our son saw a bouquet of flowers, I always remember this. A beautiful bouquet of flowers arrived, multicolored flowers. And I always had this intense moment of our son looking up and seeing this and the intake of breath. But his reaction is always going to stay with me my whole life. The way he looked up, this huge intake of breath, the way his eyes went wide, and he physically shook with the pleasure of seeing all these beautiful colors. And that's every time Nicole, you know, tells us, shares our story about how beautiful Earth is. That's, that's what it reminds me of. And it's that childlike awe and wonder of where we live. And sometimes we forget that in the day-to-day. You know, we forget to look up and... And around. And around. <laughs> and, and also, sometimes we forget what an incredible place the art of man is and what a world leader 
the island is on environmental issues, on social issues. And yes, I know we always criticize each other, the Manx crabs, right? But the Isle of Man really is quite a special place and really is leading the world forward. And this year, three Isle of Man companies are heading back to the moon. And to be a part of that effort and to be doing something incredible like that is just truly wonderful. And of course, you know, the Isle of Man putting its best foot forward. And that was Chris and Nicole Stott talking to us about the exciting world of space exploration throughout 23 and beyond. Thank you very much for joining us on the programme today. Mm-hmm.